Hello, Laurie. Yes, we are back for another instalment of Pet Chat. Dr. Paul McCarthy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah. Lovely to have you. And Cheryl Shaw, you are looking a picture of spring. What a vision today in your yellow. In yellow. I'm going to be talking about bees in spring today, so that's why the yellow and black. Oh, you team with the theme. I just love it. And you've got the little <laughs> bumblebee brooch and bracelet. I have. You're very observant. Just <laughs> fantastic. And of course, uh, Dr. Paul here to answer any of your pet concerns. I think we might have a caller here. Hello, have you called for Pet Chat? Hello, how are you? Who have we got? Pauline. Pauline, what's your question for Dr. Paul McCarthy? I have an, uh, she's 10 years old and all over her tummy, I've just bathed her and clipped her, but all over her tummy she's got this black sort of like a rash that you can't do anything, you can't, it looks like dirt but you can't move it. Sure. So there's two possibilities, Pauline. Um, what breed of dog do you have? A Lazarapso. Okay. So certainly Lazarapsos can have pigmentation. So pigmentation of the skin can, can look dark. And interestingly, pigmentation for dogs can change over time. So spots that weren't oh. there as a puppy can come later. But certainly on the tummy of a Laza at this time of year, I'd be worried about a condition called Malassezia, which is a fungus that lives on the skin. Uh, it's a yeast. And, and what happens with, with, with these guys is that if there's been an underlying allergy, the normal sort of flora become affected by the humidity on the skin and you get an overgrowth of, of Malassezia on the skin and it will look a bit like black dirt. That's what it looks like. Yeah. So there are certainly products you can use. There are shampoos you can use for Malassezia. Um, one of the common ones is a, is a shampoo called Malaseb. But certainly uh, have a chat to your local vet about different products for Malassezia. I guess the first thing is to have it confirmed that it is Malassezia and yes. not pigmentation because obviously shampoos are going to remove pigmentation. But Malassezia is a manageable disease. It is treatable. Um, and certainly there's lots of products out there that can help you with that, both topically and orally. I just, um, when I finished bathing her, I, I rubbed some Neocort on it. Yes, yeah, so Neocort contains some corticosteroids, which will certainly help for the rash, but there's not much in there that's going to affect a fungus. So certainly the reason it may not be making a difference to that, if it is Malassezia, is that the, the, the cream won't treat for that. Okay. So off to the vet. Off to the vet. <laughs> Good idea, Pauline. Thanks, Pauline. Dr. Paul, is it a disease that will last forever? Or no, it it's actually just away? an opportunistic oh, pathogen, okay. really. So, Excellent. Um, we all have a, a microflora that live on us, um, and, and it acts as defence as well as um, if it goes haywire, it can cause disease. So malassezia is a normal population. It lives, lives in the ear canals, lives on skin. And if, but if the environment's right... It'll overgrow. Right. And we see it very commonly in spring related to underlying allergies. We've got Robin now. Robin, you've got some cat issues. Sure have, yes. Um, we had a cat um, had an accident with his leg and it was fixed up. Um, a very gangly leg. Um, we went away for five days, come back and he was there. But four o'clock in the morning, he comes in and meows and meows and meows and wakes me up just to pat him. But it just keeps on coming in. It's sometimes 3 o'clock in the morning to see if I'm there and it just meows. Oh, it goes on for half an hour. Sure. How, how old is the cat, Robin? About four years old. Okay. And has it always been an indoor cat or is it an indoor-outdoor no, outdoor, cat? Out, oh, outdoor mainly, yeah. Okay. So certainly at this time of year, there's a lot of migration of wild cats. 
Um, so, so cats are what we call um, day-length ovulators. So when the days get longer, they come into season, and as they're coming into season, they need more territory to raise their kittens, and so there's a lot of migration of cats in the general environment. And because cats generally do that at nocturnally, the most likely cause for these signs is that your cat is noticing or, or picking up on the fact that there are cats moving through the environment, and it's stressing your cat out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, um, so you can look at using some of the things that to try to reduce anxiety. So there's a very nice um, pheromone you can plug into the wall. We call it called Feliway. It tries to make the house smell yeah. safer. Um, mm-hmm. And then beyond that, you can look at using some behavioural modifying drugs as well to try and help reduce the anxiety. But certainly the fact mm-hmm. that it's, not, it's happening in the nocturnal hours um, mm-hmm. at this time of year, having had an absence as well can make a cat feel more anxious. So if you've, if you've yeah. been away for a time period and the cat's sort of not had that security of you being present, yeah. it can heighten mm-hmm. the anxiety. So combine mm-hmm. that with a spring as well, I, I think this is more likely to be a, a fear of what's happening around her. Oh, okay. Yeah, so when he had his operation on his legs, I had to lock him up for eight weeks and um, he was continually locked up because he couldn't use his leg. Yeah. But, um, and then we got him out. He's, he's walking, he just gallops now. He can't walk properly, just gallops. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and he just, just comes in and we just get to sleep and he just comes in and meow, meow. Yeah, so <laughs> I, you can look at doing displacement behaviours, trying to find some activities to engage the cat rather than the vocalisation. But this does sound like a fear or an anxiety response. And having a chat to your local vet, he'll give you some ideas about what to do. Thanks for your call, Robin. So now, Cheryl, you want to talk about bees today. Spring has sprung and they're out and about looking beautiful. That's right. And they are very, very active. And with that activity, we also are being more active in our gardens with our pets. Our pets are out and about as well. Now, bees sting us, but they also do sting cats and dogs. So it's really important that if you are in the garden and you hear your cat or dog scream out to go and check what's happened because not just bees around, there's other nasties as well at the moment, but we're concentrating on the bees. So... When a bee, um, and what happens with cats and dogs, they go about um, investigating their, um, their world with often with their noses and with their paws. So these are places that they can get stung mm. very easily. It would hurt on the nose. Oh, you know what it's like when a bee stings you? I mean, that incredible pain when the stinger goes in and then that burning, painful sensation later. Mm. So the cats and the dogs feel exactly that. That's right, isn't it, Paul? They there feel is a pain, pain response from the sting, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, when that sting goes in, if you notice that your dog's licking, say, its paw or your cat's licking its paw, go and have a look to see if that stinger is still there because that stinger can continue to inject a bit of um, venom into that um, into that paw and you need to remove it. Now, I've heard one of the best ways, and Paul, I don't know if this is true, but either to use the back of a knife or a credit card. Is that right? Yeah, so certainly you can use, I, I tend to suggest a credit card over the back of the knife. Yep. Um, but um, it's really just trying to sort of, you sort of almost wedge the um, tail stinger out. Um, you'll often be able to locate it because it'll it'll still have a, a part of the, the base of the bee on it, so they're often that, not that hard to find. Um, otherwise, if you've got good fingernails, just pluck them straight out. Yeah, because they've got little barbs on them that um, that makes Point it a little towards. bit... Yes, yeah. yeah. So making sure to remove it. You know, the poor bee dies after they lose yes. that sting. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Paul, when... Um, a, a dog or a cat has had a bee sting. What's the best thing for a client to do with their... Yeah, so there's going to be two predominant reactions. There'll be some cats and dogs who have had no histamine response 
and so they'll have the initial pain, but they won't progress any further with signs. Then there's the other animals who have an anaphylactic reaction to the sting. Now, that can range from just being itchy. You might see your dog or cat rub their face on the ground or lick their paw, um, and that itching can last for upwards to several hours afterwards. Okay, so it can be quite an intense response. Then the next stage in that reaction is that you can actually get so much histamine release that you then get effects in the skin and the respiratory system. So um, the common response is dogs look like they've been swallowed a balloon, their, their heads get big, then their, their eyes all squeeze shut, um, their ears swell, and, and you get a true anaphylaxis. And, and certainly that can get to the stage where your dog can't see, um, some can't swallow. So that's an important situation and get to your vet ASAP. The other response is in the stomach. So you can get histamine. Histamine helps keep your prostaglandins in your stomach healthy. And if you get too much of that histamine release from a sting, you get vomiting. So you'll often get vomiting and regurgitation post a sting. Um, and then thirdly, there's the respiratory signs where because the um, bronchi are being affected by the sting, they start to narrow and it may look like your animal's having problems breathing. Wow, there's so many things that can go really absolutely. wrong. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You know, I worry about Avalon because he, I think he might be a bit OCD because he <laughs> cannot stand the sound of, of the buzzing of either bees or, or blowflies. Oh, wow. And it worries me because he chases them and yeah. if he was to get uh, bitten on the tongue or in the mouth, it would just be, yeah, really scary. Interestingly, there's obviously a, um, animals can build a resistance. So there are some, some dogs who one sting starts off the reaction and every sting after that gets more intense. Okay. And then there are the other groups who actually get, each time they get stung, they become less reactive because the body recognises it as a foreign response and doesn't go through the full response to try and fight the the, the toxin. So it, you can become desensitised or hypersensitised. And disappointingly, you don't know which category which your way. dog is in <laughs> until you see how those signs progress. And the other, not just the bees, I mean, there's wasps around as well, and they're yeah. quite a nasty yeah, one. And they yeah. don't actually have the barbs on their little stinger. They're, they're sort of a different um, Yeah, and they'll sting. keep going. Yes, yeah. multiple times. That's right. Oh, yeah. how horrible. You know, I, from a gardening point of view, I um, when I find a wasp nest or, you know, see the activity, I wait till just on dawn and um, I go out with a can and spray that. There's less chance of them being stung because I don't like being bitten and I'm sure I'd react. The other thing in the garden, do you know that bees actually don't like red flowers? So they don't really red flowers. Any red flowers? Yeah, so, you know, your your Flanders poppy, your geraniums, things like that, they're not into that. So, or or chrysanthemums because chrysanthemums have their own... um, Pyrethrin, so oh, yeah, wow. so, so the bees. funny little bees. Yeah, there you go. But please be careful with your pets in the garden. Yeah, and if in doubt, if you have a human antihistamine at home, if you're if you're too far from a vet that you don't think you can get there in a hurry. Try a human antihistamine. Talk to your local vet. We have a chart in our own practice where you've got a dose rates for the common ones in the household. Um, give something. Because often if you can try and suppress some of it, it's always better, obviously, and antihistamines work better before the event than after, but they can certainly sometimes help. Oh, that's good advice, Paul. Now, Dr. Paul, you've just given me a great reminder. Mm. Ticks. Tick time, yeah. Are they out and about already? We have sadly already had some cases come through the practice. So it's a really important thing to remember that this time of year they're, they're waking up, they're coming out, and the weather's been perfect for them. Bit of rain, bit of sun, bit of rain, bit of sun is the ideal environment for ticks. Um, so there are lots of really good preventative measures out there now for ticks. Even for cats this year, there's some orals and some topicals for cats, which is terrific. So um, stress to all owners, 
prophylaxis treatment is far, far more tricky. If you can prevent them actually getting in the first place, we'll save a lot more lives this season. Now, I know, Cheryl, you're so good. You're first of the month. You do all of your medications. Absolutely. Won't miss that. I don't want to lose one of mine. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I put it in my phone, but, I, you know, over winter, some people do get a little bit more relaxed yeah, and it's just it, not top of mind. And so. we used to talk about there being a season in Newcastle where historically ticks would be around from, say, September to February. Mm-hmm. Um, we had them all year this year. So I think that idea is changing, whether it be global warming or the environment is changing out there. But I don't believe there is such a reliable season now. And I just encourage owners to always be, be very vigilant, particularly if you live anywhere near Charlestown or Black Butt Reserve. They're the real hotspots for ticks in mm. town. I think ticks must like a room with a view because they always <laughs> seem to be in hilly areas. We're right um, in Charlestown. But certainly yeah. Redhead gets them. They, and... Um, there used to be sort of zones where if an animal came in showing signs of tick, we would ask them where they're from because it helps you go, oh, it's unlikely to be a tick from where you are. Even that's changing. So we used to sort of say, oh, you never get a tick from Hamilton. We, we've been fine in there as well. So I think wow. it's really important that to not take any sort of um, – be lackadaisical about ticks. Um, there's some good products, good safe products, and it's really great now that you have some out there for ticks, uh, for cats as well. Um, be prepared. It's just a much more simple condition to treat. Now, Paul, if uh, your pet does get a tick bite, mm. um, obviously time is of the essence. Correct. So what sort of symptoms and signs are you looking out for? Yeah. So the first thing I always recommend to clients is if you see a tick on your animal, remove it, keep it in a jar and take your animal and the tick to your vet. When you say remove it, do you yeah. need tweezers? Is it a no. twist? You so, just pull so it out? There are tick pullers. There's a whole bunch of things you can use. Um, but really it's just about getting the tick off your dog and your cat. Um, how you do it is less important than actually getting it off. Don't worry about sort of you squeeze it, you're going to push more toxin yeah, in. Yeah, you can't or, leave the head in or the, all of the, these you know, things these you are, Yeah, if the, the head won't keep living, so we can ignore that. That's yeah, a myth. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> um, but it's important to get it off. So the signs vary dependent even on the species, actually. So most dogs, for example, show ataxia or wobbliness as their first signs. Yep, yep. But certain breeds might just show the respiratory signs. So cavaliers, for example, often don't show the drunken gait, but show breathing as their first oh. thing. Um, and it's I've, important not to give them water then in that case. Certainly, because often the reason the breathing is affected is because the larynx is no longer doing its job correctly and that the diaphragm muscles are also becoming paralysed. So um, what can happen with that is if the dogs are drinking, they can ingest that into their lungs rather than into their esophagus, and then you get a, a, what we call an aspiration pneumonia. So um, I, I really stress that it's important any any thought you have that your dog or cat may be suffering from a tick, so any wobbiness, any breathing abnormalities, even vomiting can be a very early sign of ticks. Um, have them checked because people often think taking the tick off stops the signs progressing, and that's actually not the case. You need to get them you need straight to, to get the them in. Get, often get some antitoxin into them, depending upon the severity. Sometimes it's just a fluid and, and a watch, but more commonly, is you have to actually remove get the toxin bound to an antitoxin so that it can't keep progressing the signs. Yeah. We, we sadly lose animals every year to this, and it is a preventable condition. It mm. is so scary. Uh, I, I know one year, and particularly in the middle of summer, we were up at Scott's Head, we had Gizzy, and um, he was showing signs. He just looked a little bit wobbly. He was panting, mm. and I'm thinking, 
oh my God, is it a tick or is he just too hot? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, and I was like, I don't want to give him water in case it's a tick. It was one of those moments where you're like, oh my God, and checked That's him right. over. And then I thought, no, he's just, I'm sure just he's just hot. Him. He's been sunning yeah. himself. But it's really scary because you don't know which one and you oh, want to do the Particularly right in long haired dogs um, who, who may go some days sometimes without the tick even um, showing signs. Um, and we often see cases where people have removed a tick, there's been no signs, but day two or three, those signs start kicking in. So really be vigilant after, you know, you need to be watching your pet for at least two or three days. We're going to go to Nettie now. Now, you want to talk about ticks, Nettie? I do. I um, I live in Madawi and ticks are a major problem here, not only for animals, but for us humans as well. So we're, we are constantly having to remove ticks off ourselves and obviously um, and make sure the pussycats are protected. <laughs> but I have an excellent way of removing ticks oh, and great. they can be very difficult, as you know. But if you put a dab of soft soap, just the stuff you wash your hands with, the soft soap... The Liquid soft soap. The liquid soft soap. Squeeze a little dollop of that, put it on the tick and leave it for about half a minute or a minute and it seems to kill them. And then just with needlepoint tweezers, roll the tick out and it it just relaxes and it just comes out very easily. I think what you're probably doing in in actual fact, Nettie, is you're probably suffocating the tick. Well, well, probably, but yeah. I've tried a lot of other potions over the years and nothing else works. But yeah, I think, I think the density of a soap probably just doesn't allow any air to get into the tick, so it's probably okay. a, very, a very handy thing to do. That's so. a yeah. great tip, yeah, yeah. isn't Look, it? Look, it's, it's fantastic, and we've always got soft soap on hand here, so and uh, it works for us people as well, and and it's a fantastic little thing because otherwise they they can really hang on. Yeah, and, and, and your, your point was very valid, and I should have mentioned it before, but thanks for reminding us. Do give a twist as you remove. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Roll they do out. seem to sort of corkscrew themselves cool. in. Yeah, mm. so it is a yeah. good idea to twist as you do remove. Yeah. Yes, well, I just thought since you were talking about ticks, I would um, just no, pass on that little call. tip. Absolutely. Thanks, <laughs> okay, thank you. Stay tick-free. They are awful when they get on our skin too, aren't they? They're just awful little critters. Well, they even inject an anticoagulant, so they form a little granulation lump. So, and that can take some weeks, for in, in, often in people and in dogs, for that lump to go back down. They're very clever creatures. I had this awful experience once. Molly was a newborn. She was only a few days old and we'd gone to the park. I had her wrapped up in a blanket and I held her the whole time. And it was, you know, that night I was washing her and on the back of the neck I've gone oh, my God, that is a tick. And so Mm. I went into, like, complete meltdown. Um, How could I let my newborn get a tick? (laughs) So And I thought, what if she – can she get paralysed? So straight off to medical and (laughs) I'm in the waiting room and I'm like, she's got a tick, you know. What if it's paralysis? I was just a mess. And they said she'll be fine and they took it out and she said they won't – it won't hurt her. I was mortified. Yeah. And they said it probably fell from the tree onto the blanket. They are, dro- and it's they are drop in. feeders, so they <gasps> tend to sit beneath vegetation and drop on a warm body that moves beneath them. Yeah. Awful. Welcome to the show, Ellie. You want to talk about heartworm tablets? Hi, I've, I've been very interested listening to some other callers and, and the vet talking about um, regional uh, ticks. It's not they're not everywhere. I'm on the Colburn Cessnock border, and I heard that perhaps uh, dosing my dog with heartworm against the heartworm mosquito was a waste of money because we didn't have them in our region. Is that actually correct, or, or should I worry? And also, we do take the doggy to 
Sydney sometimes. So okay. should I keep going with the heartworm or not? Yeah, so um, heartworm is, par- is carried by mosquitoes. So yeah. um, they, they're a mosquito-borne or an arthropod-borne um, parasite. Now, there are certain areas that are very high in heartworm, and that's all the eastern seaboard. Now, I, I'm, a, I'm not aware of your local area, and I think the best people to speak to would be your local vets to see whether they have seen heartworm in there, in your area. Um, my thought was, though, if you're going to Sydney, you'll be in the risk zone. So right. um, certainly if there's any travel to Sydney, regardless of where, you, where else you live, um, then certainly you would get it. When I first graduated, I worked in Canberra, um, and it was believed we had no heartworm in Canberra, but the reason we did see cases in Canberra was everyone took their dogs to Batemans Bay for the weekend. Um, and, of course, Batemans Bay had heartworm. And so it's, right. it's, it's often actually not where you live, but where your dog goes to that can be the, the yeah. source of the worm. So, um, and, the, and look, the good thing about heartworm is it's very easily prevented. Um, it's, a, it's a really easy oh. parasite to, to prevent. Um, and so if in doubt, I would certainly prevent. Um, but it was an interesting question. I, I would talk to your local vets and see whether they've had heartworm that only right. have been found in cases in their local area but yeah. haven't been somewhere else. And um, should I be more concerned in the summer because there's no there's mosquitoes, more mosquitoes. For, yeah, there's no and, mosquitoes for three or four months of the year anyway. Yeah, and, and certainly I think that that is probably a valid point that it, it, because it is mosquito-borne, there will be waves, which there will be more mosquitoes than others. But I'm not sure how warm you get out there in your winters, but we, we still see mosquitoes in my backyard because they're bromeliads. So I think it does change where you are depending upon whether you're seeing mosquitoes. But as I said, it's a really easily preventable disease. I just keep on it. Okay. Thank you for your call. 49216216. Look, there has been an accident at the lights at South Street in Windale. Emergency services are there now. If you spot anything on our roads and it's safe to do so, let us know. 49216216. We're going to take a couple more calls in just a minute. Before we do, though, it is time to look at our dogs of the week. Uh, we've got two today, and the first one is Benson. Now, Benson's a little old man. He's a 10-year-old greyhound. Uh, you can see a picture of him there. Look at him. Um, (laughs) He's got a brindle coat and a bit of a toothless grin. Now, his foster parents think he's very handsome and he's a true gentleman with a beautiful and kind nature. He's an older boy, so he likes the simpler things in life. His ideal day is waking up to a yummy breakfast, going out for a walk, grabbing a puppuccino, then coming home and cuddling up in bed with the humans. That sounds like a perfect day for everyone. I'd like that day too. (laughs) Now, Benson only has four teeth left, so he's only allowed soft foods. He does have quite quite the appetite and he has been known to steal your food if you're not looking so he's not aggressive with food but he doesn't understand why other dogs might not like sharing if you want to find out more about benson please head to 2nurfm.com and click on our dog of the week and our other puppy today is amira look at that mm. oh look it looks like she's come back from um, hawaii or Fiji. <laughs> she's got a lay around her neck she's very relaxed uh, she's a five and a half month old staffy puppy uh, I think she's mixed. She's a stunning girl, very laid back and loves her playtime and cuddles. She's a healthy puppy. She's been raised in a home environment, very well socialised with other puppies and gets along well with them. She's met lots of people and is friendly and affectionate. She's not suitable for a home with cats or pocket pets because she is going to chase them. She thinks it's a bit of a game. Uh, and she will grow to be a medium or large dog as well. So look, if you're in the market for a medium to large dog, check out Amira. She's just beautiful. And you can do that at 2 when you are rfm.com time to take a few more calls now um where 
are am I up to? I think we've got Irene. Hello, Irene, are you there? Yes, yes, I'm here. Um, <clears throat> we always used for, uh, for ticks was just uh, nail polish, which is simple because you just got the little brush and, you know, just painted on it. Those, uh, um, they said about it probably smothers it, you know, and it seemed to even just back them out. So we found that was a simple way of getting oh. a tick out. Mm, okay, I haven't heard that yeah. one, but again, I, I think you're right. I think we're doing, doing all very similar things, which is just mm. preventing the actual tick from being able to breathe. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. And because you know it's got the little brush, it was just simple to to put, to put it on. on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it didn't clever. matter what colour, of course. All <laughs> 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 oh, these home remedies, I like it. Uh, Annette, you're talking about bee bites on small dogs. <laughs> Yes, I actually have had that terrible experience with my little mini snouser, which she is mini, she's only 4.2 kilos. And we were out in the yard together and she started to whimper and I thought, I, I checked all over and I couldn't find nothing. She went in anaphylactic shock <gasps> to the point. I live very close, which is probably only, uh, not even half kilometres from the vet. By the time I got there, they had to induce her with a needle and she nearly died. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a, yep, yep. Uh, anaphylaxis yeah. can cause death, Annette, so it's, it, you know, you were yeah. very very lucky it, to get, it, to got there when you very, did. It's very scary. I, like, this is years ago now, and I still get emotional because I thought I was going to lose her. Yeah. Because oh. she's such a little thing. And um, what they did, they end up having to keep her in overnight. She end up on drips and everything else. But we couldn't find, actually, what had bitten her. And it wasn't until later on I had a beehive, a swarm of bees come onto my back door of my home. I opened the door to take her out and it was covered in bees. Well, she absolutely freaked and hid under the dining room table. <laughs> Once bitten, twice shy. And we're actually thinking that is what actually did bite her. Yeah, certainly. And my husband and I were coming home from uh, visiting uh, a Townsville and our daughters and we stopped at Gunnagar. And I got out and I went to the toilet and just like you normally do. That night, I found it ticking my belly button. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness me, the things we find at Gunnadar. I think we've got Lynn back online too. Lynn, you did try to call earlier in the show. You've got a comment about bees. That's right. Yes, I did try to ring earlier and... Something happened with the line. That's all right, Lynn. You've got us now. Now, what's your comment? Well, um, I'm the Ag and Environmental Officer for my CWA branch at Gresford, and I've just been doing a comprehensive research on bees, um, European bees for the honey side, and also our many, many native bees and I have found it most interesting. One fact for us, have you got Lynn, one interesting fact? Um, well, the the late the, um, I can't think of her name. Queen? Queen? No, no, no. <laughs> the, the, the lady there uh, with you. Cheryl? Oh, Cheryl. Cheryl, yes. She did. Well, she's queen she's a queen. <laughs> <laughs> I apologise. <laughs> a princess. <laughs> now, uh, she was on the mark when, uh, when mentioned about bees are attracted to red 
Well, it's more so blue and purple. Oh, ah. there you go. They're really limiting themselves on the flowers. Yeah, they, <laughs> lo- they love my wisterias, so that's the purple. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, thank you very much, Lynn. Uh, I think we've got time for one more. Jeff, you want to ask about the oh, the dog baiting that's mm. happening at the moment. Of course, this has been in the news. I've yeah. s- seen this. Yes. Yeah, um, just uh, there's not enough uh, words to describe the people that do this. Uh, and, yeah, well, it's, um, it's, it's, it's sort of like upset me that people even think about just yeah. doing this to defenceless dogs. But just, um, I just want to know, is there anything that you can do pre-getting them to the vet that, uh, you know, in a serious case, I know you might not know what's, what's caused it, what sort mm. of poison, yeah. but do you make them vomit? Do you give them fluids? Do you... It's a really important question, Jeff, and disappointing. The answer is very much dependent upon the toxin involved. So, if it's a, if it's an ingested toxin, then vomiting is certainly often the very first thing to do. We don't make a dog vomit if the toxin is ca- is caustic. So, if it's going to cause more damage coming back up after the esophagus, you don't do that. Um, but but generally, getting a dog to vomit in most of these circumstances is the first thing we do if we if we can identify what's involved. The, the general problem for baiting of dogs is that the active ingredients are often so quick in their action that it often is very little time for a, an owner to do anything um, and often it's getting the, the dog to the vet as soon as possible. I can't stress that enough. Paul, how would you go about making a dog vomit? Yeah, look, there's lots of stories about things. Um, often people suggest um, laundry liquid makes, okay. a, makes a dog vomit. Um, I've never tried that personally. Um, that won't do more harm? Generally, no. Okay. So the surfactants don't tend to do any real damage in those circumstances. Um, I would, to be honest, I would just suggest you get your dog to the yeah. vet. We give a drug called epimorphine into the vein and they start vomiting within seconds. So okay. it, it's a really good thing to do that way. The other sometimes risk you can do in trying to make make your dog vomit by forcing something like liquid soap into the, into the mouth is you can get down their lungs if you try too hard. Right. So I tend to suggest you best to just get your dog to the vet. And thanks so much for the call, Jeff. Yeah, I know. It is upsetting when you see um, It seems very localised at the moment. Uh, it seems to be only several parks involved, but it's, it's a really awful and situation. And it does. It makes you so yeah. angry. You think, how could anybody do that? Oh, I know. Uh, Anyway, that's all we've got time for today. We've had so many different topics. It's been yeah, fantastic. Very good. Yeah. Thank you, Cheryl, for bringing up the bees and Dr. Paul My for pleasure. talking about ticks, both very interesting subjects My today. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>